Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that I try to take different topics, issues wrapped around the remodeling and the remodeling business that really help you take your game to the next level. You spend so much time and energy in the trenches doing the business, it's really a time that you can kind of pump the pause button just for a minute and say, you know, let me reflect and think about the business. I'm doing this series within the Remodeling Mastery format that's really focused very specifically on sales mastery. And I've taken different topics that I think I see that are pretty relevant out there. So I encourage you to go back and look at some of the earlier topics, and I think they will help you Uh, in fact, take your game to the next level. Today, I want to be talking about a topic that, you know, kind of is a little bit more the glue that holds the sales kind of discussion together. And it's focused on the language of sales. You know, I know many years ago, getting into the remodeling industry from more of an architectural or design background, this notion of sales was even kind of creepy to me at the time. And it took me literally years of kind of getting my head around it that nothing really gets designed and built unless it's sold. And therefore, once you realize that we're all salespeople, but just some are better than others, you will commit to, I think, this topic and this theme of getting better at it. So what do I mean by that? You know, think about Steve Jobs for a minute. You know, was he really a salesperson? Absolutely. You know, Oprah, is she a salesperson? Yes. You know, even thinking about some of the religious or spiritual leaders like Gandhi, was he really a salesperson? And you think about or you read what he was able to accomplish, there's no question you could put him in that category. So once you can look in the mirror and start to admit that you are, in fact, in sales, what you're really allowing yourself or giving yourself the permission and license is to get better and better at it. And I think this kind of overriding theme of the language of sales that I'm going to be talking about today will really help you do that. So a few kind of sales themes I'll start with. Sales themes are kind of beliefs. You got to start with the right mindset and the right, right beliefs. And the, really, the fun, one of the fundamental ones is that, you know, your biggest competitor is not other remodelers out there. It's not other architects and builders out there. Your biggest competitor out there really is the client themselves. It's their stress that they're experiencing. It's their fears. It's their overwhelm. It's their time. And it's their ignorance. You know, your clients are not stupid, but they are ignorant about home remodeling and specifically design build processes in home remodeling. If you really think about it, I mean, how many times, for example, are gonna are they going to build a major addition to their home? How many times are they going to renovate a kitchen or a master suite to their home? It might be once or twice in a lifetime. Well, how can you become experts of what the latest trends and the latest processes are if you only do it one or two times. It's not necessarily a top of mind thing. And I would argue that we're all ignorant of different things, just like your clients are. So being ignorant does not mean you're stupid. It just means you're ignorant about that subject. And I think the more that you see yourself as the sage, the advisor, the tour guide in the process, 
the better. And understanding, I think, the language of sales, I think is one of the key, key ways to be able to do that. So let's talk about mastery for a minute. You know, I read many years ago in a book, Baby Steps to Success, which was written by Vince Lombardi's son. There are four levels of mastery. And you can think about this in a very fundamental way, but I encourage you just to think about these four kind of terms or adages as as you're moving through the altitudes of mastery. What you ultimately want to do when it comes to any elements within the language of sales is try to get to that level four. And that's kind of where the magic is. So it all starts when you're unconsciously incompetent. In other words, you don't know what you don't know. You know, and when it comes to sales, you know, I think oftentimes when you don't even think about it, you you don't know certain things. Level two is where you're consciously incompetent. Now I know I can't do something. I can't present, I can't close something. I'm incompetent, but I know exactly, at least I know what's missing. The level three, which is progress you get to to take your game to the next level, is when you become consciously competent. That's when you are a little bit more mechanical. That's when you can do it, but you really have to concentrate. You really have to think. You have to remind. You have to read your notes. You have to prepare exactly how to approach different conversations. You're consciously competent. And then ultimately, the level four, which is where the magic is, and this is the magic where pro athletes are, this is the magic where musicians get to, is when you are unconsciously competent. You can do it. You can do it very well, and you don't even have to think about it. You're using those kind of involuntary muscles. So when it comes to the language of sales, many of you are either level two or level three on some of the different elements in the process and the, some of the things I've talked about in this podcast. And our ultimate goal is to become unconsciously competent. And the only way to get there is understand the fundamentals to this, but also practice it in such a way that you can, in fact, really, really be very comfortable at it. So I want to talk a little bit about language. You know, think of this notion of the language of sales almost being like the language of particular cultures or different countries in different parts of the world. There is a language to sales. And at the end of the day, going back to your biggest competitor, being their stress, their fears, their overwhelm, and certainly their ignorance, you've got to adopt language, words, communication that really addresses those competitive elements. You've got to have them not only understand, but also be inspired. One of the themes in my book I talk about, it's our obligation to communicate, not others' responsibility to understand. You know, how you go about communication, you have to own it. If they don't get it and they can't feel it at the end of the day from from you communicating it to, it's your fault, not their fault. And I think once you put the stake in the sand and take that level of ownership, you're going to see a lot more success. 
So again, I go back to what are those competitive elements that you need to have language, words, phrases, metaphors, diagrams, all sorts of tools as it comes to the language of sales to be successful, not just knowledgeable about the project, but successful at conveying these insights and these feelings. So let's just start with some, you know, kind of wonderful words. You know, think of it this way. You know, you're almost like a therapist in a way. You have to use words that really make them feel comfortable. Why? Because this is a stressful project. This is a process. This is a, is a, 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 a process that is confusing to them. So, for example, you know, you start to weave in the word process, you know, because they can relate to that. Process is a soft word. That's what you do. You have steps involved in a process. You know, use the word respectful. You know, we like to be respectful to the existing architecture or respectful to this is your home first and a construction site second. You know, these are ways to just kind of take their blood pressure down a bit. But by using a lot of these words... Uh, you will find that you're going to be more successful. Another great word is explore. You know, explore implies what it says. We're not coming up necessarily with the concrete solution right away, the prescription right away, but what we're doing is exploring. Another nice word is seamless. I mean, who doesn't want seamless as opposed to herky-jerky? You know, a thoughtful approach. You know, taking a tour, I always like using words that apply to other things they might be familiar with. So when you're walking into the home, you might talk to them, I'd like to take a tour of the spaces, not only that you're renovating today, but what you might be tackling in the future. Also, think about some of the money and the investment elements when it comes to just wonderful words. You know, right or wrong, their home is their greatest asset. So talking about a return on investment, ROI, is a fairly common thing. Another element is to talk about risk. If they're smart people, they think in terms of level of risk, level of risk in terms of not only what they do, but also levels of risk in terms of who they work with. Some projects are much more complex than others, and I think the more that you can use the word risk, I think is a good word to use. Painless. You know, that's really what ultimately they want. When you go to the doctor, you know, one of the things they sometimes do is, you know, this is going to take about five seconds or 20 20 seconds in terms of pain, and then it's going to go away. All of a sudden, you you can kind of prepare yourself. You know, I think you can use words like painless, integrity. You know, also, the client is very focused on pride, pride in their home. So you want to start to use those words that touch their heart, not just touch their mind. The other important thing when it comes to words and language is try to avoid the scarier words. Try to avoid the less intimidating words. So I'm going to give you a few, for example, that are just examples of this. And I think when you start to practice this, you're going to find it's just softer. It's more comfortable when it comes to the clients. So for example, start to use the word agreement rather than contract. 
you know, some clients, they get a little bit, their, their, their kind of hair on their back goes up when they start to think about contract and legal documents. And all a contract is is a formal way to agree upon something. So start to use the word agreement rather than contract. Rather than use the word change order, use the word addendum. They mean fundamentally the basically the same thing. You might even put that in your documents because what it does is it reduces some of the anxiety wrapped around change order. Matter of fact, many homeowners actually think a change order is a verb, not a noun. You're not going to change order me, are you? You know, this is a fear that they have. And if the more I think that you can just adjust your language and use the word addendum, you're going to be better. You know, use the word retainer as opposed to payment. Uh, Investment versus price. You know, budget versus estimate. You know, all these words are similar or they mean similar things. But most importantly, they're less intimidating. They're words that really are transferring kind of what it's about. It's their budget, not your price or your estimate. So the more you can get them to think about those words as it relates to them and not just what are you doing to them, I think it becomes more of a collaborative approach. The comfort is there, the blood pressure goes down, and the likelihood that they want to proceed is much greater. The other thing you've got to do in the remodeling sales process is use the words that also create confidence that you're not only an expert, but you're really the authority when it comes to this. You know, think about this to a doctor that you might go to. And if you have a complex kind of issue, let's say a heart operation or heart problem, you want to be dealing with the best of the best. So oftentimes by just peppering in certain architectural words, you can elevate your uh, authority or elevate your expertise. For example, there are words that you might want to think about in terms of architectural words. If there's a little bit more of a design orientation, you might use the words when we're talking about the geometry or maybe the scale of something. You might describe certain spaces in the home. Talk about it at a lower level of the home versus the basement. You know, also think in terms of kind of the massing uh, when it comes or the balance. But then you can also use uh, more technical terms with remodeling and construction, not so much because you're trying to confuse the client, but you're trying to use words that uh, actually uh, create, I think, a little bit more credibility that you are an expert. For example, you might use the word fascia, or you might use the word soffit. Well, a lot of clients wouldn't understand what those words fundamentally mean, but you know what they mean, and you might just pepper them into a conversation. I know many, many years ago, uh, when I was first starting coming out of design, and I looked very young, and we were talking about doing pretty serious projects, you know, seven out of ten clients would say to me, are you old enough to even be doing this? That's not a real vote of confidence. So I started to practice some of these words and, and integrate them in. And one of my favorite words at the time, which many of you may not even know what it means, is fenestration. You know, I would talk about with a client, you know, in addition to looking at the massing and the layout, we'd also make sure that we're looking at the fenestration uh, on the project. Well, I would use that word very consciously 
because I knew most clients, even attorneys and doctors and certainly accountants, didn't know what that word meant. And then all of a sudden, they started to look at me and look at kind of my knowledge and my even my youth is not necessarily a disability, but they looked at me in terms of having, you know, level of credibility. So just picking interesting kind of words like fenestration, which by the way, all it really means is the openings, the windows, the doors, but it's just a different way to say it. And as a result, I think it becomes more effective. Now, in an earlier podcast, I did a whole segment focusing on the power of three. And the power of three is so, so important. I encourage you to go back and listen to that 15 to 20 minute segment because the power of three is the language that you're using. It is a language of sales. You know, many years ago, I read a book, The Paradox of Choice, where Barry Schwartz talked about homeowners out there, humans out there, you know, they need the right amount of choices. And the magic number was three. So there's a lot of different uses of the power of three, but in the language, what it does is it really helps them not to feel overwhelmed. If you give them five choices, seven choices, they're overwhelmed at that point. They want to just pause. They want to hide under their bed and not necessarily proceed. If you only give them one or two, you know, you're running the risk, number one, of them judging you based on that choice, but also... They want to keep shopping. They want to keep discussing. They want to keep thinking. Three is the magic number. And there's a lot of different variations of this, but it also, in the spirit of their ignorance, it helps to frame the decisions. You know and I know they need to decide the right things at the right time. And by using the power of three and all the different uses of the power of three, you can really help to navigate and control the process much more effectively. So you might talk about three options. You might talk about three levels of remodeling. You might talk about, you know, three key questions that they need to ask themselves. All of these are unpacked in an earlier podcast. Three types of companies to buy from. You know, you have the majority of the folks out there that are the uh, the small contractors that might do a kitchen one month, a bath one month, do roof repairs, siding work, that kind of thing. You know, or you have the boutique kind of companies that represent only a small percentage, three, four percent of those companies that are out there that are really focused very much on their signature design in your space. And then about 10% or maybe 15% are really professional design build, professional remodeling companies. And here's all the reasons that you might want to consider that. So using the power of three helps to frame the decision for the client of the type of company that they want to uh, certainly work with. And also, you know, there's three ways to increase or decrease the level of investment or the budget that they put into the process. And I think by expressing that, they're going to be much more appreciative of, you know, you taking them down the right path. So in addition to kind of using words Uh, friendly words, technical words, using techniques like the power of three. Another language kind of element that's so, so important is trying to make it more visual. Uh, 80% of homeowners out there are visual thinkers. They're not necessarily thinking in terms of 
of uh, uh, just words. I go back. Your biggest competitor is your client. It's their ignorance. And if you're not communicating things in the right way, you know, you've heard the adage a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, make sure that you're using more imagery, using more pictures to show them illustrating specific things. You know, and it's not about illustrating your work. It's about communicating ideas and concepts so that they can understand and appreciate it. But even more than just pictures, you know, it's also been said a metaphor, a metaphor is worth a thousand pictures. So by starting to pepper in metaphors, and especially metaphors that are relevant to them, you will have them kind of understand. So I'm going to share a couple quick, quick metaphors that you might talk about when it comes to the client. So for example, most clients have bought, have purchased many, many vehicles, many automobiles. So you can use the metaphor of the, the, the vehicle in a lot of different ways, whether it's you're the full service type of organization that not only creates the car, designs the car, but also services the car. It's like going, you're like going to the dealership as opposed to the corner mechanic. It could be focused if they ask you about breakdowns and you could always talk to them. Well, you know, it's more like buying a a, a car. You know, what does the steering wheel cost? I don't really even know. Our systems and processes are not really designed for that. You may use a vehicle as it relates to different qualities of vehicle. There's a twenty, thirty thousand dollar vehicle. There's a fifty to sixty thousand, and then there's the hundred thousand dollar vehicle. You know, when it comes to all these different vehicles, they all have four wheels. They all have a steering wheel. They always have. They all have a emergency brake, but they're all really different from each other. And when it comes to remodelers and type of projects and the level of quality that you approach things, you know, it it's, it falls into that as well. You know, I always love the description I heard probably 30 years ago. Remodeling is sort of like having a suit tailored while the client's still inside it. You know, most homeowners get that. This is not just dropping it off like new construction. You're living through the construction. You're living through the process. So who they choose to work with is really, really important. So I think using that metaphor. You can also talk about the process being kind of a maze and you're a tour guide to take them through the maze so they don't get either afraid or they certainly don't make uh, certain mistakes. You can also use the metaphors of different things that relate to them. I had a friend that that, uh, used to be very knowledgeable about shoes. And as a result of that, he'd notice what the kind of shoe the client was wearing. And he'd use that type of metaphor as it related to different types of quality. And clients would immediately get the difference between a $300 pair of shoes and a $100 pair of shoes when it came to comparing remodeling. You also need to think about using diagrams rather than just words. I know many, many years ago, we used to explain our process all in words. Then we'd get out to the house and they would say, so tell me a little bit more how you work. What's your process? We'd explain it again. They'd write a check. They'd come into the office. We'd be showing them concepts. They would say, oh, this is terrific. Let's walk, walk me through what your process is. 
And finally, we realized after a period of time, it wasn't them, it was us. It was how we were communicating our process. So all we did was something very simple. We created a document that was a diagram, not words. And in each one of these three steps to our process, we showed not only the deliverables of each step, the five or six bullets, but we also showed the the fee or the level of investment for each step along the way. Clients went from being confused to all of a sudden getting it. And then it was really important. You know, I'm going to touch on budgeting as well, because at a very high level, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast really focused on the money and the budgeting side of the equation, because understanding that in the sales process is probably the hardest step, but it's also one of the most important steps when it comes to uh, moving a client forward in terms of, of um uh, uh, sales in the, in the remodeling process. So there are three things I think that are especially important in budgeting that you need to keep in mind. One is that budgeting is more of a dialogue than anything else. It's a two-way streak. It's their budget, not your price. And as a result, you've got to form very good questions when you're d- discussing it. Have you thought about the level of investment that you'd like to put into this project. So budgeting is very much of a dialogue. That's number one. And you've got to learn how to speak about in the language of that dialogue back and forth and not be like a deer in headlights when you're asked specific things. The second thing that's very, very important is always, always use ranges when it's when you're talking about budgeting. Now, that sounds maybe a little bit specific, but it's very important because you can't have a dialogue if you have to leave the conversation and go do research to come up with numbers. So rather than giving a person it's about 100,000, it's about 50, it's about 200,000, give them a range in terms of what you think it is. Because when you're not sure, just widen the range. Because at the end of the day, it's their budget and it's a dialogue, not a price. And therefore, it's very important to always, always, always use ranges. Because if you can do that, you're going to always be right and you're going to keep the conversation going rather than gravitating away and end up moving to a professional researcher. The third element is you want to make sure that you're able to break the cost down or the budget down. You can't eat an elephant in one bite. If I tell you, for example, something's going to cost between two and 300000 which is a good wide range to be able to give you, uh, that's all terrific. But how did you come up with that? Where did that come from? It doesn't create kind of warm and fuzzy feeling in terms of, and it seems a little overwhelming, quite frankly, especially if I was thinking 100,000. So by walking them through a very basic chunks of the project and giving them rough ranges for each of the chunks, and all of that adds up to 210 to 270,000, it's the same outcome But the way that they're receiving it in the language of sales is very, very different. So I want to just summarize for what we've talked about today. And I encourage you to really try to become more masterful at this whole notion of language within the sales, not just the product within the sales. Number one, the words that you're using are really important. 
They affect the feelings. They affect the thinking. They affect the data behind it. So think about the words. Jot down words that you really like. Discuss those. Uh, Second one is use metaphors in the conversation, as I've talked about. But find metaphors that are really relevant to them. You know, if you're talking, for example, to someone who's wearing old tennis shoes about about shoes and about the different brands of shoes, that's probably not a very good metaphor to use with that particular client. However, if you drive up to their house and you see a very nice sports car out front, you probably can use the sports car as an analogy or a metaphor uh, as it relates to the process. The Power of Three, go back and listen to The Power of Three podcasts I've done. It's such an important thing. And the diagrams, there's a lot of different diagrams that you can come up with. You don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be, you know, a designer architect to draw a simple little diagram that helps the client kind of understand. But at the end of the day, I think what I'm trying to express is what I said at the beginning, and that is we're all in sales. Some of us are just better than others. And I know, for example, being passionate about design and remodeling, you're going to get more remodeling projects. You're going to get more opportunities to design really cool stuff if, in fact, you can become more masterful at the language of sales. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this particular podcast, and I encourage you to uh, go back to some of the earlier ones that really go deeper on some of the topics as well. Take care of it.